I don't know how you came today, but I believe that to some degree you came hungry. Um, maybe you ate before you came, and I'm not talking about the physical hunger. I think it's almost a subconscious hunger about us. There are some innate desires within us, some longings of the soul, the longings of the body, longings of the mind that we're I think we're all hardwired this way. And again, subconsciously, it's like your heart. It's like your vital organs. They function without you consciously having to tell them to function. There's an innate desire inside of all of us. And for those who weren't here with us last week, you might have missed a little bit of the introduction. We started a series called Quest. And I think that we all have a desire, a pursuit, a quest out there, a journey for some holy grail if you will. And, um, and I think that I could be broad enough today and broad enough in this series that all of us long for a life well lived. None of us wants to have a, a life that looks like a dumpster fire, uh, a life that looks like uh, you know, just a, a, tr- a train wreck from the beginning where we am going from ditch to ditch, overcorrecting sometimes. We, we don't want that. We have a quest. We have a desire. We pursue a, a good life, a, a life well lived. So that at the end of our life, people will look back and say, that was good. That was a good person. They lived a good life. And some of those pursuits that we have that make up that good life, that's what we're talking about, is backing into it, reverse engineering this and saying, okay, if we're going to have a good life at the end, then we've got to have to live a good life now. And what is it that we're longing for pursuing that subconscious desires that we have. And one of those that I mentioned last week is I think we all have a quest to be loved. We all have a quest to love, be loved, to experience love, to even give love. Uh, we want that element in our life that, that makes us feel special, a warm fuzzy, if you will. But more than that, we, we want to know that, that we are embraced in some way, emotionally, physically, and otherwise. And as we think about love, we, we talked about, again, last, I can't relive last week's message. If you weren't here, I really encourage you to just catch up, last, watch it online or something like that. But we really talked about how love is something that we should give first. We initiate love by giving love. But really, we can't initiate love until we know what love is. And knowing what love is is more than knowing some emotions and putting some handles on it. It's more than what the world kind of puts out there for us and what love is because it's some kind of feeling, some kind of, I, I think it's like a drug in a back alley that's presented on television and what's presented in, in, in song today and in, in poetry. It, that, that's not the fullness of love. We, to know love, we've got to know God. And I'm not just throwing the God thing in there because it fits, but it fits, okay? In, in 1 John, we read this last week in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it said that What's the last three words there? God is love. So if you really want to know what love looks like, feels like, is, then the best thing to do is not start with love, but start with God. And if you'll start with God, you will end up at love. A lot of people, though, don't go there. They start with love, and they look for love in all the wrong places. They look for love in, 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 in places that really is just, again, a back alley drug that fades in a, with a high of, of a few weeks or months. But we're not talking about that kind of love. Hopefully we're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about a love that is unconditional. We're talking about a love that never ends and never fails. It's patient and kind. We're talking about biblical love. And to really understand love, 
you've got to know God. And when you start with God, then you will always end up at love because it's at his very essence. And it's at his very core of who he is. But I want to go further because you just reviewed last week's, if you're going to know love and you're going to know God, then you've got to be born of love. And again, that's a whole message from last week. But I think we really have a desire inside of us all to love, to be loved. And I'm going to just take that and spin that a little bit more because if God is love, then, then hang with me, please, please hang with me on this. I say this, in reality, what we're all longing for is we're all longing for God. That if we, if we have God, then we will have love. And, and, and until then, we're just going to be constantly searching and grappling, going from relationship to relationship, disappointment to disappointment, looking for love. But there's another pursuit that I think we all have. Now, you might not push back on the first one. I don't think many of you would. But the second one you might push back on. You might say, I'm a self-made person. I, I put myself up by one bootstraps. I don't need anybody else. I'm independent. I can live on my own, on and on and on. All that secular humanism that we might bubble up with inside of us, thinking that we're just some kind of little deities of ourselves until we fall on our face. But the reality is I think we all pursue to belong. I think we're all in this desire to belong to be accepted, to be embraced, to be loved unconditionally. Again, it all intertwines with one another. Think back to your childhood days whenever you were on the playground and they were picking teams for kickball or foursquare or whatever you played on the playground, and you were the last one picked. Okay, you're on my team. You know, did it make you feel warm and fuzzy? You know, were you really belonging or you just had to go somewhere somebody had to take you? Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe this, maybe you remember the day that you were the new kid in the school. Anybody the first time you ever, you go to a school and you're the new kid and you're the only new kid in that classroom, raise your hand. All right, a few of y'all. It is a daunting feeling. You feel like everyone's had a party, everyone's been invited except for you. You're not invited to the party, but you're there. You go to the lunchroom or you're new on a job even. You take a new job and everybody takes a break or everybody goes for lunch and everybody goes for lunch and they all say, hey, we're going down here to this place and you don't get invited. You feel alone. You feel like no one's loving you. There's a, there's a bed of depression that comes over you. Why is that? Because we want to belong. We want to be accepted. We want to be a part. We want to be part and parcel of something meaningful and valuable in life. Because it adds value to us. It gives us a sense of worth. And this is not something to push back on. This is something to embrace. Because if you embrace it, you're really embracing the image of God that's still inside of you. I think the image of God has been marred because of sin. But there's an element of God that's still the image of God that is still expressed in us. In Latin, it's the Imago Dei. And it's that idea that God had a plan and when He made us, His plan was to make us for one another, to connect us, to intertwine us with one another. And I can take you straight to chapter and verse on that. In Genesis, in the beginning of time, whenever he was creating chapter 1, verse 26, God, and by the way, this is the word Elohim. El meaning God. Elohim is the plural version of this. It almost seems as if it's a plural God. And the reality is that we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working as a community together in the very beginning of it all. Jesus didn't begin in a little meek and mild baby laying in a manger. He's always existed. 
And we see Him in the beginning of time with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and they're working together. Because you see the plural represented here. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So there is this our God. There is this one God, but in three different expressions coming together to say this. I want to make mankind. And I want to make mankind where they are connected, but they're individual. They're expressions of personalities, but yet they can't live without one another. They need one another. It's the way I made them. We are made to belong. It's a desire inside of all of us to be accepted. We seek community when we want to, a sense of that in our hearts. We join clubs, we join teams and gyms and sororities and fraternities and unions and guilds and organizations and political parties based on this sense of I belong to you in some way and you belong to me in some way and we have some common ground that brings us together. We need to belong. Seth Godin wrote a book a few years ago, a small little book, called Tribes, where he talks about this, that we are all made up of tribes. We are connected with one another. He's basically, in his own way, saying that, hey, I need you and you need me. We are connected. We, are marked, we mark our tribes through labels and tattoos and piercings and colors and symbols and music and language and artistry and style. We have an innate calling inside and longing inside to belong. Again, we have children sometimes because as an adult, we want somebody to belong to us and we want to belong to someone. It's just natural. It's the way God made us. I can remember when I went into the seventh grade, from sixth grade to the seventh grade, it took me seven years to finish sixth grade. Now, you do the math on that. I like second grade so much, I did it twice. And uh, I can remember I went to the same elementary school the entire time. It's all I knew. It's the only school I knew. Um, and then I went to Oakdale Junior High in Rogers. And I can remember going to that school and being overwhelmed. I was not ready. I was not ready for what I was going to experience emotionally on a sociological level, where I did not realize before all of the different tribalizations that would take place, all the different segmentations that would take place in society, but I experienced it. All of a sudden, there were these different classes of people, and it was just happened naturally. It wasn't even one of those things you had to, to generate or to make happen. There were the preps. There were the jocks. There were the bands, the nerds. There were the brainiacs. Then there were the druggies. And then there was a few other categories of people. All these different little categories and subsets of people is what made up the school, and I was not ready for that. And immediately I was eliminated from some of those subgroups. I was eliminated immediately from the, from the brainiacs because of my dyslexia and whatever. I was never going to make it that. That was, that was simple math. No pun intended on that. But uh, I, was, I just didn't qualify for that elite status. I didn't qualify for the preps because I didn't have the right labels on my clothes. Kind of grew up in a single parent home without a lot, of, without any child support, and so you just kind of live with what you get. And and I can remember saving up my money for my very first Izod. Now that was when Izod was really cool. I don't know what it is now, but but uh, and then polo, and then it was like I started chasing. Yeah, you know, so you started chasing these different things because I wanted to be a part of. And for a day, I could be a part of that unless I wore that shirt every day, you know. And then they would start smelling that part. Um, 
So you have these different categories. There was one group of people that I was not ready for, but they were so accepting. They embraced me. They invited me in. They included me. They were the druggies. They welcomed me with open arms. They accepted me unconditionally. So in the seventh grade, I began to see, experience, taste, feel things that a seventh grader or anybody should really experience at all. And I began to be a part of a subset of group of people of a tribe of, of, in a school at seventh grade that that was going to be my tribe. It appeared as if it was going to be my tribe. So I began that path until uh, Coach Kavnis, and ironically, Coach Kavnis's niece was in our last service, and I didn't even know that. But Coach Kavnis comes up to me in the hallway one day, puts his arm around me, says, hey, I think you'd make, make a pretty good defensive end on our football team. Why don't you sign up? I didn't know what a defensive end was. But I loved the idea of something else, belonging to another tribe. And so I joined that tribe. And I was a part of that community till I graduated. I say all of this just as a foundation to say, every single one of us, wants to belong. Facebook's not enough. Dating around's not enough. Community clubs will not satisfy what is deep inside the body, the soul, and the spirit. We need community. We were made for community. We were made in community. The deity of God made us for community in His own image. We need diversity and we need affinity. We need a push and we need a pull. We need to be able to inhale safely and exhale as well. We need an unconditional love, but we also need a love that will ask the very best of us and expect the very best out of us. Take your Bibles and be looking at Ecclesiastes. Where we find, I think, Solomon in his ancient wisdom expressing to us his own real realization of the need for community. Now, I would just say to you this. If you don't know anybody else in the Old Testament, you need to get to know Solomon. And if you don't know what book to read in the Old Testament, you need to go read the book of Ecclesiastes because the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, is the 21st century developed world's um, um, memoirs, if you will. It is a king who became very successful, very accomplished in life, in every category of life, but only to find that at the end of it all, it was empty, it was vain, it was unfulfilling, it wasn't enough. And one of those elements that he realized wasn't enough that he needed to have in his life was the idea of community, of tribes, of connections, of relationships. Because he writes it in this book of Ecclesiastes. When he makes a very simple proposition to all of us today, and I want you to see it very quick, blink and it will be gone. Verse 9 says this in chapter 4, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Now, what he does after this is he tells us why he thinks that. He gives us the because statement. If you read your Bibles on there, it'll tell you. He says, because this. And he then takes four metaphors and he talks about why two are better than one. He uses metaphors like work and warmth and walking and welfare. He brings these different metaphors out, all to prove a point, all to establish the fact that, hey, listen, 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 Grace Point, listen, listen, I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. And our life will not be complete until we realize the value of having a good, safe, right 
better community, something that will make us better. The druggy community, let me tell you this. I wasn't going to say it, but I said it in the last service. I don't want to give them something you don't get. But uh, about three years ago, I was at at the Benton County Jail. Not in it, just at it, okay? Um, Actually, I was in it, but I was on the right side of being in it. And I was visiting a person that I knew there and talking with them. And this guy that I knew said this. He said, hey, I met someone in here who knows you. His name's Tim, and he told me his last name. I said, I know Tim. And all of a sudden, it clicked with me. Tim was in the lockup for whatever reason. I ended up talking to Tim. I don't even remember why he was in there. But Tim was a part of my seventh grade running around buddies that never, ever changed the druggy track. He stayed there. And to this day, well, three years ago, as of three years ago, Life's a dumpster fire. Don't want to go there. You got to have the right community around you. You got the right connections, the right relationships around you. And if you do, you will be better for it. And he tells us why we will be better for it. Uh, and he, he, t- he outlines these four. So I want to look at these four metaphors and, and I want to call them the reasons why our life will be better. And by the way, the word better there is the same Hebrew word tov that is used in Genesis whenever he's talking about the creation of the world and he's talking about turning light and taking darkness and bringing light in it. And he said it was tov, it was good. So literally he's barring from creation when God made a perfect world. And he's saying, listen, you will be better. This will be good. This will be right. You will be fulfilled when you're in community. When two are better than one and you understand the value of the other person and how they fit in, the very first reason I need, you need each other is it multiplies life impact. None of us was to live an insignificant life. And so therefore, when we come together, we can make a greater impact. We can do more together than you can do as an individual. Think about it. In John Maxwell's book, The Seven Irrefutable Laws of Teamwork, number one law that he gives is one is too small of a number to achieve greatness. I find myself, even as I go to the gym, that I work out better when I'm in a group of people and we're doing the same workout and we're working and we're, we're grinding and we're, we're sweating and we're, we're foaming at the mouth together. When they say three, two, one, go, and we go, and we just crash at the floor at the end, that works better for me because we're together, we're doing this together. I used to go to the gym and look at these things, and you kind of do that kind of action, and you know what, you know whatever. I look at the literally look at the machines and go, what am I supposed to do with that? What's it going to do to me? All that kind of stuff. So, and, I, and you kind of go through that. Two are better than one. Greater impact. Studies have shown that. Albert Einstein. The one who developed the theory of relativity. Even he has built his life on the shoulders of other people, said this many times a day. I realize how much my own outer and inner life is built upon the labors of my fellow men. Both living and dead, how earnestly I must exert myself in order to give in return as much as I have received. To understand the bottom line is that I need you and you need me and we need each other. Verse 9 says it like this. He says, because they have a good reward for their toil. 
Because there is a good reward. There's better results. There's more efficiency. There's more production. Let me tell you this. Uh, when we, went, we did this whole communitas theme back at the early part of the summer, we asked all of our body life groups, small group ministries, to take on ministry this summer. I love it when I heard of the Homs group and what they did and emails circulating around and how they began to take their community, their small group community, and began to serve the community. They looked around at different options and different, and different needs in our community. They found a little nursing home in the middle of Bentonville called the Bentonville Manors. You probably pass by it and don't even realize it's there. It's in the midst of all this refurbishing of downtown Bentonville. But yet this nursing home sits there. And because of lack of funding and lack of, lack of resources, they haven't had the, the money to, to spruce it up like they would like. And so what they've did is they've just existed. And so the home group goes in and they say, hey, we want to serve you. We want to serve widows. We want to serve people in convalescent care. We want to serve people that we'll not get recognition for. We want to serve. And they did. And so they said, okay, yes, you can come, you can serve, you can sing, you can teach, you can talk, you can, you can do whatever you need. And so what they did is they picked up their paintbrushes and they started painting walls. And over half the facilities right now painted because one group got together and they said, hey, let's do this together. You can accomplish more together than you can alone. I'm telling you again, God built us, made us for community so that we can accomplish more. I love another group that's in our, that it's in our midst, the Andy and Wendy Wiseman's groups who are looking at their place of communitas, where they're going to be a community, a part of blessing the community. And they're looking at helping inmates that are coming out of prison. They're already talking with a local Souls Harbor men's uh, kind of halfway house kind of situation where men come out and they don't have a, a lifestyle. They're a part, listen to this, they're part of the wrong tribe, much like Tim is. They don't have a way to get back into a new tribe. And so one body life group is going to do what they can to embrace these inmates that are coming out so that they can help them find a new tribe to be a part of. I love it whenever I see communitas happening, whenever Trent and Elizabeth Sullivan, who just joined just a few months ago in our last North Point, but yet they have had a heart and a passion to have, start a body life group that would bless and help foster families as they look at foster parenting. And so what they're doing is they're starting a body life group that will be about helping those that are in foster care in an adoption process. I'm just giving you three examples just to say, what can we do? How can we impact Northwest Arkansas? We can literally alleviate the needs of our own community, of our state, whenever we as a church begin to see that we need one another, this community needs us, we need to be about not just hugs and cuddles in the community group, but we need to be about communitas. So we're going so far as to change the name of our body life groups to communitas groups. If you're not a part of one, I encourage you to be a part of one. In fact, this next Saturday, Randy, who's now leading our communitas groups, body life group, notice how it changed that all of a sudden, all of a sudden. All right, so and now part of a communitas group. So he is going to be training any of y'all. And listen, if you have one friend, God forbid you have at least one, please. You know, have one friend, then uh, our two, uh, preferably three, then get together and call yourselves a communitas group and start serving and ministering to the community. Randy will talk all about that this week. You can write him on that. Here's the second reason we need one another. It encourages accountability. 
I need you, you need me because I'm going to slip and fall. And the person who's in this room who thinks they're not going to slip and fall, we need to talk. We need to talk soon. Because the person who thinks that they're not going to fall is probably the next person who will fall. I'm not just trying to be a, a negative, negative, prophetic person here, but it's what the Scripture says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he that he stands take heed, what? Lest he fall. It's the person who thinks they've got their sure-footedness, the person who thinks they've got the wits about them, the person who thinks that they can't stumble in that area, they would never do that. That's the person. Listen, I am one decision away from stupid any given day. And so are you, by the way. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have fallen. We need somebody around us to help us to stand again. He who trusts in riches will fall. Uh, the Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Again, if you go back to Ecclesiastes verse 10, for if, we, if they fall, one will be there to lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. How does this happen? It happens with this group of people right here and this little group of people right here and four or five over here and three or four over there and five or six back there and 10 to 15 back there. Whenever they decide to become a part of a communitas, whenever they decide to interlock arms and so that nobody falls without getting helped up. Nobody gets left behind and nobody gets stranded and nobody gets kicked to the side of the road as a sack of wasted human flesh. We pick up everyone. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3 says, Brethren, if anyone be caught in any trespass, which could be any of us at any given moment, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You could be the next one to fall, so be very, very cautious and aware. The reason mountain climbers are tied together is to keep the sane from going home. With a mountain of mercy behind us and a mountain of mission ahead, I need you, my sister, my brother. I need you tied to me. We need each other to keep from bolting, fleeing, and returning to the sanity of unbelief. We need each other. We need one another so that we, when we fall, we'll have someone to get us back up. Now, some of you all know I enjoy uh, the, the grueling activity of CrossFit it's uh it's an addiction all right i'm an addict and uh and but you know it's one of those things that kind of helps relieve stress all at the same time creates stress relieve stress but uh recently i was in a, in a in a competition over in oklahoma and i don't know if uh if he's in here i haven't seen him but uh rob is is a friend of mine and he was at the competition and he came up to me one day. Now, I sweat profusely when I work out, okay? This is gross. I know it. Just deal with it. Uh, and so I carry with me in my bag just bunches of T-shirts. Uh, and so I was sweating, and, and it stunk, and it was hot, and it was all that kind of stuff uh, in, this, in this little box area. And so Rob comes up to me, and he whispers in my ear, Hey, hey, Mike, do you have another T-shirt? I thought, oh, Rob, man. 
Yeah, I got a T-shirt, dude. You need a T-shirt? Uh, I got plenty of them. Let's go to my closet here. And uh, he said, no, 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 no. You need the T-shirt. <laughs> How can you distinguish me from everybody else stinking in here? And you know what? I knew everybody stunk until I took my shirt off and put a clean shirt on. And then I realized I was the one that stunk. And nobody else was thinking like I was thinking. I literally have had about a couple of months to think about that. And here's some life lessons. You can take it or leave it that I learned from that. Sometimes you stink and you don't even know it. It's true. You need to be ready to change your stink. Number two. Are you ready to change whatever the stinky element is of your life? Attitude, actions, what is it that needs to be changed? You and I need friends and need to be friends who have the guts to hear a friend tell us that you stink. And you need to be able to tell somebody else they stink. And if you don't have somebody in your life and if you're not in a group of people and you don't have that level of transparency, authenticity, then you need to find it. Because there's a lot of times the world stinks all around us and really what stinks is us. We have fallen. We don't even see we've fallen. We think we're okay and the world is wrong and really we're wrong. You need people in your life. I need people because we will fall. Number three, it improves your survival. It improves our survival, I should say. I don't like to think of living in survival mode. It sounds like a trite statement. But really, we get physically exhausted. Life's demanding. And what one week is a high, the next week is a low. And we feel defeated and depressed and anxious. And, and we need other people around us. I can remember a time to use the metaphor that he uses, one of warmth. I can remember a time whenever we were living in Africa. We were actually living in Livingston, Zambia. Just north of Livingston is a little town called Colomo. Colomo is about an hour and a half. And so I was going to be teaching there the next morning. So I got up and I spent the night in Colomo with a pastor in their home. Now, when I use the word home, I'm talking about, I'm using it in a very loose term. It would be not our our concept of a home. It's more like one, maybe two rooms. And so here I am. I'm staying in the room with a couple of other pastors. And, and so it's three of us in this room crowded together. I have my little American cot and I get it all set up and I get my mosquito net because I don't want the malaria. And, and I get my little sheet clean freshly. Uh, and, and I get my little America made out in their living room taking up about half the living room, by the way. And then the pastor and the deacon that was there with me, they just crawled into the sack together. I thought, no, I'm an American. Men don't sleep with men. And this, I just can't do that. And so I just stayed on my little cot, and I just stayed there. And, and they got over there, and they hunkered down in their little, their little bed together. About three in the morning, I realized why they were sleeping together with their heads under, under a blanket, snoring uh, like they were cutting up logs. It was freezing cold. I have never been so cold that as cold that night in Colomo at 3 a.m. I did not go back to sleep. I shivered. I had cold air from the bottom. I had cold air from the top. It was cold all around and nobody to keep me warm. Now, that may not mean as much to us in our climate-controlled world. And the reality is there's a lot of environment that's out there that will beat us down, control us, freeze us out. And the reality is we need one another to keep one another warm. Verse 11 says, again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
Number four. Fourth reason, I need you, you need me, is it increases our stability. We're able to go longer the more we have, further the more we have, under, endure more the more we have, the more we're connected with one another. If you read verse 12, it says it like this, and though a man might prevail against one, one-on-one on a good day, we can win. I can win. I can prevail, maybe. Maybe. Or hold my own. But if there's two of us, what does it say? He can withstand. And if there's three... He won't be broken. Not quickly anyway. The more I have, see, see, one, two's better than one, but, but three's better than, than two, and four's better than three. And you can see where we're going with this. I need the more people I can have around me and the more people you can have around you, the more we can connect with one another, the stronger, the better, the more right our life will be and the less regret we will have. Because we'll have people there to pick us up when we fall before we fall too far. A lot of people there to keep us warm whenever we're freezing in the elements of the world and about to die. Every great man of God needs somebody. Every great woman of God has someone with them. Moses had Aaron and Ur. Joshua had Caleb. Elijah had Elisha. John Mark had Barnabas. Paul had Timothy and Silas. The 70 that were sent out, they had went out two by two. They had each other, even Jesus. Closest disciples were Peter James and John. What I need to realize as I'm a part of community for myself, I need to also realize that myself is for community. That I need to be a part of community because I need you and you need me. Nobody is a whole team, Chuck Swindoll said. We need each other, we need someone, and someone needs you. Isolated islands, we are not. To make this thing called life work, we got to lean and support, relate and respond, give and take, confess and forgive, reach out and embrace and rely. Since none of us is a whole, independent, self-sufficient, super capable, all-powerful, hot shot, let's quit acting like we are. Life's lonely enough without our playing the silly role. The game is over. Link, let's link up. I can tell you now as a just a personal thing, my most dangerous moments are when I'm not connected with other men or I'm not connected deeply to my wife. Most dangerous moments of my of my spirit and my soul is when I try to go it alone. And therefore, I don't want to go it alone. I have a group of deacons that I meet with every Thursday, uh, every other Thursday morning at, at 6 a.m. in my office. And we meet and we pray and we talk and we read and we keep each other there. I have another group of men that I meet with, single guys on Wednesday morning. Love those guys. We've only been meeting for a few months. Starting another group that I'm going to be meeting with on Monday mornings, and for the next nine months, we're going to just pour into one another. And in that group right there, we see, I see walls come down. Uh, we connect. We laugh together. And believe it or not, men weep together as we bear our own souls, as we fix the wrongs and redeem the past. Hey, Mike, I want to be a part of one of those. Make it happen. 
be a part of our communitas group. And we, all we can do is create environments, okay? You help make it happen. You help make it happen. The, the band's going to come back. We're going to sing. And I, I, I want to talk with you for a moment as an individual. I've been talking about community. I've been talking about connecting. I've been talking about tribes. I've been talking about all that. But I want to talk to you. And I want you to do this. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me and just get very much about you for a second. No moving around. No getting up believing. This is about you. I want you to reflect for a moment. Who in your life will tell you you stink when you stink? Who in your life can you tell? You need a new shirt. You need a new attitude. You need a new way of life. You need to quit that. You need to stop. You need to move on. You need to get past that. You need to get over that. It's time. If you don't have people, to say I feel sorry for you is patronizing. But I do. You need people. I need people. And I want to challenge you. Are you willing and ready to belong to a community of not druggies, not preps? We're not looking for that. We're not looking for surface things. We're looking for deep, heart-level connection. Be a part of this church, maybe. Maybe that's the first step for you. Be a part of a communitas group. What is it for you that you need to be a part of that you're not? I want to pray for you, and then I want to talk about what's next. Father God, we commit this time to you. We commit everyone in this room to you. We commit where we're at and where we're not at, where we should be at, and who we have and who we don't have, and who we're neglecting, and, and, and who's reaching out to us, and who we're turning a deaf ear to. Lord, help us now here to, to, to humble ourselves, to embrace our need for one another, and that it is not time to go it alone any longer. I pray you'd help us here and now in this quest to belong, to find the right place and the right people to belong to, and then be there, all there. I pray this in Jesus' name.